how to start well you know it's just writing i mean here's something important to remember about dialogue every word matters no it doesn't they're vital i want to go to this place that i think it needs to go to the only thing that counts is what you see on the screen i will write like four or five six hours a day and it will be a voice made of ink and rage okay i'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question in this week's episode, I sat down with Jason Hellerman. Jason's an award-winning film and TV writer. His feature screenplay, Shovel Buddies, made him a top 10 of the annual Blacklist and was purchased and produced by Awesomeness TV. Since then, he's completed feature film and television work for a variety of producers and directors. Currently, he's writing action comedy for Sylvester Stallone's production company called My Masterpiece. I've known Jason for a couple of years now as a writer for No Film School. He's been kind enough to publish some of my work over there and we've went back and forth the last couple of years. But before we get into that call with Jason, I've got my wonderful producer, Marion on. Uh, she's really behind the scenes of this show, the scheduling and all of the editing and everything else. She's also running Instagram. If you're not following already, go over to at Brock Swenson on Instagram and Twitter to see kind of what we're posting next. Before we get into this call though, what were your kind of thoughts on this, on this conversation with Jason? He talks about like comedy movies on the podcast, and there's a part where he he's like, "Who's a comedy movie star?" And I want him to like I don't know if he listened to this episode once once it's out, but I want him to know I also ask myself that all the time, <laughs> and that is a regular. It's like you're on Twitter. That's a regular conversation people have every couple of months. Mm. Like where did all like comedy movie stars go? Yeah, and. I think relating it to like the strike and stuff that he eventually like talks about on the podcast, I kind of, I, I don't know if it's like a, a bit of a controversial thing to say, but I think like I really, I really, really want Hollywood to stop making remakes and live actions and just book the movie adaptations. Like I'm, I'm mostly a reader than anything else. And as a reader, I can tell you, not every book should be made into a movie at all. Um, there's like very, very little book to movie adaptations that are actually good. Like most of them usually end up disappointing the fans of the yeah. book and they're just, they don't get the attention that they got once they were a book because not, not all books should be a movie or a TV series. Yeah. And I think, you know, pay the writers what they deserve and like support what they're writing. Like the public does want original stories. I want original stories. I, I, I like comedy movies. Everyone likes comedy movies. I'm like, where are they? Like, stop giving me, like I seen like a lot of studios lately, like this, like last couple of years have been trying to turn like this romance book into like comedy movies comedy romance movies and they're never as good <laughs> like stop trying that <laughs> just go for the original scripts invest in the writers and their stories and stop trying to like take content from recycle content from other yeah. parts you know? yeah i mean it's been a major issue for years and years and years it's just kind of like, like gotten worse and hopefully i was talking about this with some other screenwriters that you know we saw with like the pandemic these really personal stories came out like steven spielberg's the fableman and a few other movies like that i'm hoping that a lot of writers are working on spec scripts right now since they're not in the writer's room 
you know, not going against the WGA or anything like that. But hopefully there'll be like a rise of original content after the strike. And if, you know, if the WGA can win and kind of move forward, the audiences are dying to see original work and stop seeing so many adaptations and remakes, as you're saying. So, yeah, I'll jump in the interview now. Here's Jason talking more about that. It's really the idea behind the blacklist. And he talks about the strike. We, we recorded this about 100 days into the strike. So it was a few weeks ago. But he's got a lot of great insight about the blacklist and what's going on with the strike. So here's my call with Jason Hellerman. You know, writing something that I was always good at as a kid, you know, is like, that's like the class you excel in, you know, like English class. I was never very good at math or science or anything like that. So I think like the natural predisposition. Um, and I love reading as a kid and watching movies and TV shows and stuff like that. So it kind of felt natural just to pursue it in college. Um, hilariously, I actually was like in sports medicine for like two weeks and was like, uh, this is not what I want to do. Left, uh, enrolled in uh, film school and was like, uh, never looked back. And I went to Penn State for undergrad. Uh, you know, I have a degree in like English and communications. And then I went to Boston University for grad school, uh, screenwriting and film theory, which was great. And then I moved immediately to Los Angeles and um, I started working as an assistant at Scott Free, which is Ridley Scott and at the time Tony Scott's company together. And, uh, you know, I was pretty good at, uh, you know, script notes and doing different things you know, with directors and we got a lot of commercial treatments there. So like reading through those, helping people parse out what they wanted to say or do different things. And honestly, you know, I moved to Los Angeles to become a screenwriter. So I was always um, doing that. But, you know, once I had uh, a script out in the world and had, uh, I decided like, you know, you didn't have enough time to be an assistant at the same time. So you also need a job, right? Cause Los Angeles is expensive. So you're waiting for this long time, you know, I, I had a script called Shovel Buddies, which was on the blacklist in 2013. I knew I couldn't be an assistant much longer after that because it was very hard to care about anything my boss wanted to do, <laughs> you know, like when you would care about yourself a little bit too. So um, I just started doing some freelance writing for different blogs and uh, a lot of different commercial treatments. And eventually um, Ryan Koo, who runs No Film School, just reached out to me hilariously through LinkedIn and was like, oh, I've read your stuff at different places. You know, like, would you want to contribute just at one place? And that was in, I think, like late 2017, maybe early 2018. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, I was like, yeah, that's amazing. But for that full five years in between that, um, really, it was just me submitting stuff to places like the Screencraft or I'm trying to think of like other blogs I wrote for Studio Binder um backstage you know just places that were publishing or paying per article uh where there wasn't something consistent or you know sometimes i'd go somewhere and there'd be consistent work but i would hate everybody i work with or <laughs> you know like uh, it paid really terrible or you know they'd be pushing a product or something that you maybe didn't believe in so you're doing it. so uh you do that and then in the meantime you know you're also trying to get work screenwriting and do different things so it's always trying to find that balance and do that kind of stuff and no film school. I mean, you guys are prolific. Like what, what, what's your output look like? How many articles are you writing per month on average? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I'm trying to write usually, uh, let's say like three a day, Monday through Friday. So it's at 15 a week, 15 times four, 60 articles a month, maybe, you know, I, I, I just yeah. crossed over 3000 articles for my time there. So it's like, I'm sure that maybe boils down to less, but it's like, you know, 3000 articles from 2018 through 2023. So uh, a lot. In fact, like I think I got hired in September of 2018 or August of 2018. 
So, you know, we're approaching whatever that is, the full five year mark. So yeah, 3000 articles in five years. And, and that's just me, right? So there's plenty of other people that yeah. write for the website and do different stuff. So I cover mostly film, like breaking film news, and then also screen the screenwriting beat and some directing. Mm -hmm. And then um, we have people who just cover cameras or acting or different things like that. So it's always the goal is, you know, keep your finger on the pulse, but have these big meaty evergreen how-to articles um, that people could find forever and be like, Oh, like, how do I rack focus? You know, like, what is a Dolly zoom? How do I set that up? Have those things there and available for people just because I think, um, you know, you could search all over the internet, but if you find a cinematographer who's done it, they're always going to have the best directions for how to put this stuff yeah. together. Before we get into screenwriting, like what, what have you learned across those 3000 articles? What's changed about your headlines, your subjects, how you keep a pulse on what's happening? Some of those things. Headlines, I think it's get to the point quicker. You know, we'll, we get a lot of op-eds too, right? Filmmakers are like, can I just write about my experience? And the one thing I wind up rewriting most of the time for them are their headlines because they'll write like, you know, the dark night of the soul, how I put things together in three yeah. weeks and then made a movie. And I'm like, that might be what actually happened, but really like the, the headline needs to be much shorter, much more succinct as to like where we're going and what you know, the, the story you're trying to tell and, you know, with just like search engines now and, and people's limited attention span on social media, you need to get to the point quicker. So it's like, if you made a movie in three days, it's like, I made a movie in three days. Here's how is way more effective than anything, you know, poetic. Um, and, and just personally writing, I think of like the start, I just didn't really know what an effective blog was, right? There were just, there's stuff that was online, but you're reading mostly for information. And I think a lot of my articles would meander because it was stream of consciousness. And now I have a much more set outline of like what I want to do. You know, it's like, here's a punchier intro where I'm telling people like what, you know, what I believe or, or like the general information they need to know. Then it's an explanation of where we're going and, you know, why that information matters. And then I also just like, how does it matter for other filmmakers? Like what are lessons to learn? You know, and I think early on, it was hard for me to figure out what those lessons were because I was also figuring it out myself. And now mm -hmm. I try not to write an article if I don't know like what's immediately applicable for uh, people. Like you, just for example, like you know, yesterday I was writing about how Zoom has changed its um, its uh, terms of service so that uh, it can train AI off recordings. And you know, mm -hmm. like before I, that would just be the article, right? Hey, look, this happened. And now it's like, well, why should a filmmaker care, right? Like, why is that article on no film school? It's, well, the idea is like, you know, so many writer's rooms are run off Zoom in, in the post-COVID world or, or still use it. All of my general meetings are like that. You know, um, Zoom has become a tool. And if you are pitching, you know, proprietary stuff and someone's training AI on it, then you can't be surprised when ChatGPT spits out a version of your original idea and you're like, hey, I didn't put it anywhere. How does it know this? It's like, mm. well, it's through Zoom. You know, stuff that's like, okay, here's the explainer. And then like the back half of that article is me just being like, hey, on Gizmodo, it shows you how to make sure they can't do that to you. You know, so like an explainer of like how you turn that off. And I think, again, it's just looking at the story as a whole. You know, I'm not a trained journalist. Um, I don't even really think I'm a journalist. Uh, most of the time, I feel like I'm like a blogger on there, just like an opinion person. So it's just like, hey, here's the context of the news through my eyes and here's why I think it's important to you. And um, finding that longevity or like that longer tale of what these articles should be has been a little bit of a journey, um, especially with breaking news and where it goes. And, and then also figuring out the No Film School audience, you know, like what do these people care about? You know, like what matters to them and stuff like that. 
What's kind of the the purpose for those not familiar? I mean, I know film school it sounds sure. like it, maybe it's a it's a dig against going to film school, but I'll, like, do you see? I, like, I went to school. I learned some screenwriting there. I think it's more relationships as opposed to craft. Is that kind Absolutely. of how you see no film yeah. school in general? I mean, the website. I think the idea is like you don't have to have gone to film school, but you, if you get hired as a cinematographer, you should know how to rack focus, right? You know, right. so it's like the right. idea of like how do we put these lessons on here so people aren't going and paying for these sort of for-profit places that give you a certificate when you could just learn it yourself. And also the idea that like globally film school isn't a thing all over, right? Like hmm. we have such a huge international readership and, you know, most of the film schools in the world are in the United States. So how does someone from, you know, rural India learn how to do this stuff? You know, like it's through Googling and really being in depth. And our goal has always been, how do we be a resource for people who aren't going to film school? but want to make those connections, learn these sort of basic skills. And also like, hopefully we have some articles about like how to level up, you know, it's not just about uh, how to use a D DSLR or like write your first screenplay. It's how to build your craft, right? How to get better at something to become a professional and hopefully be the people contributing articles later. Hmm. Aside from AI, what have you seen change the most in those 3000 articles? Like what's changed the most from your perspective? Obviously there's streamers, AI, probably the big ones, but anything else that's maybe a surprise shift in the industry? Just the shift of streaming, even in five years, I think is, it's been so rampant. You know, when I started, I feel like I was writing articles about how much I was enjoying the Marvel universe. And it was so interesting that they're building this world and, and, and as they're doing that, you're also seeing uh, movie studios try to emulate that, but stop making mid-budget movies almost altogether and stop making like, I think Adam Devine was talking yesterday about like, they stop making comedies. You know, like there's just certain yeah. genres they just completely stop making in efforts to capture these uh, large tentpoles. And seeing that happen in real time, and I feel like watching the changing tone of my article where I was like, in the beginning, I don't know if you remember, right around 2019 is when, Scorsese, I think, published that like um, New York Times thing where he's like, "These aren't this isn't cinema; it's it's yeah. uh, like roller coaster rides or whatever, mm -hmm. amusement park rides." Yeah. And and I at the time, I think, wrote a couple articles. They were like kind of like middle of the fence. Where I'm like, ah, I still think there's cinema about it. And now I feel like maybe I've been radicalized. Where I'm like, yeah, these are it did become kind of dangerous, and it did cancel yeah. out a lot of different things. And it's not just about you know whatever you want to say like art movies that have disappeared, but it's about like the disappearing of like complete genres. And if you look back at the early 2000s, um, the comedy space was uh, just so fervent and so lively mm -hmm. and honestly, like more diverse than we give it credit for. And now, you know, what like comedies are tiny budgeted movies that maybe you hope to get a star in that probably will debut on your streaming app. So like seeing that the rise of streaming, you know, the relegation of different uh, genres to streaming. And, and honestly, like, probably like the rise in horror is like the other big thing where, you know, 2018 Blumhouse is a big deal, but I don't know if it was as big of, um, you know, a conglomerate as it is today where it's just, you know, there's a company that figured out, Hey, horror makes money and horror makes money in theaters. And if we keep doing this and doing it right, we can make a lot of money. I think that's been an interesting story to follow in Jason Blum's career, you know, going from already successful producer, but to now like successful mega producer, very interesting. Yeah. I've asked a lot of people about the comedy thing. It's there's no really like multi-million comedy. There there was recently the Jennifer Lawrence movie. Before yeah, that, no hard it's feelings. All, yeah, yeah, it's all action yeah. comedy. Like exactly you know, for Kevin Hart, Ron Reynolds is going in that direction. Like full speed. And I guess it's more global box office because comedy needs to be specific, and that doesn't always translate. 
Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that's a shame. You know, if you look at like the Will Ferrell comedies of the early 2000s, you know, your Talladega Nights and Step Brothers and um, Semi Pro and, you know, like these movies that we love and quote, they were expensive. They're expensive to make. Yeah. And, you know, they didn't always work out. But I do feel like he was creating characters um, that were big and fun. And a lot of those movies still made money. And I think they made money because he was a movie star. But who's a comedy movie star now? Right. You say Kevin yeah. Hart, Ryan Reynolds. But Ryan Reynolds, I think, is a star because of the action in Deadpool and maybe like and his tone and voice is funny and, and like red notice he's funny, but it's, but that is an action movie, right? Like there's, yeah. there's no real hard jokes in that. Um, same thing with Kevin Hart, hilarious guy. Uh, but he does skew more towards genre things, you know, and, yeah. and finding like that niche, which I think is awesome. And I love those movies, but yeah, you're right. Like just the standard, like straightforward comedy. It's so hard to make. And even something like No Hard Feelings, which I loved this summer, was like, I don't know if that movie ever gets made if Jennifer Lawrence doesn't come, you know, star, yeah. you know, take a full starring role. And if it does get made, it's made for, you know, $2 million max with someone else. So, yeah. Let's shift to some of your your other work kind of behind the scenes. I do want to talk about your article here, how I got my script on the blacklist without rep. <laughs> like you said, good, simple point. The subline, the blacklist can open doors for writers in Hollywood. So you're kind of explaining because not everyone knows what the blacklist is. Right. Um, so tell me kind of your experience, what the blacklist is. You've kind of been on it once with reps, one, once without reps. So kind of break yeah. down this article. For yeah, me. sure. Uh, so in 2013, Let's back up. I moved to Los Angeles in 2012, got that job at Scott Free, um, worked for the president, Michael Cossigan. He eventually left and had a different overall deal at Sony. I went with him, was very happy being assistant, but obviously wanted to be a writer the whole time, screenwriter. So I was sitting there pumping out scripts, trying to like figure out you know where my place was in Hollywood, while also simultaneously figuring out like how do people break in in this town? You know, <laughs> like uh, what do they do? Um now, I think in like 2007 or 2008, Franklin Leonard, who runs the Blacklist, came up with this idea for the Blacklist. And really, the idea is simple. He emails his friends who are producers across town um, or have like overall deals or executives. And he just said, like, what are your 10 favorite scripts this year? Like, what should I have read? What should I have known about? Um, and from that idea evolved this list. He would then release, um, you know, I think like the week before Christmas or two weeks before Christmas every year, which is just... Um, the list of, Hey, here's what everyone voted on. You know, like it started as a casual vote. Now, like there's a website you log in and you have to, you know, have different um, deals, different places or whatever. You know, I, I don't know the criteria hundred percent for who's mm -hmm. voting, but uh, it became a real thing. Right. So then he would publish a big PDF at the end of this year that said like, Hey, these movies, these scripts weren't made, right. They're the best unproduced scripts in Hollywood. You should check them out. And on it, it would have like the writer's name, the log line, and then who repped them. So you could reach out to go get, those scripts and now an assistance on blacklist day all over town are all sending the PDFs back and forth. So everyone can download them on like, you know, a big Google drive. It's always very fun. But um, so in 2013, uh, they had also launched the blacklist website, which is separate from the blacklist script. The website is, it's like a script. Uh, judging's the wrong word. Let's say it's like a script advice website. So like if you've written, you know, untitled Brock Swinson movie, you can upload it onto the Blacklist website. You write your own log line. You put some tags on it to say what it's about. Let's say it's an action comedy, right? We know there's a commercial, uh, you know, with uh, action comedy with a female lead, R-rated, about the mafia. And you're like, great, I put that up there. And then you can pay a certain amount of money. Uh, I don't want to get the number wrong. I think it's like 100 bucks for script coverage. 
So then someone will read and cover your script and then they'll rate your script from one to 10. So this is a brand new thing in 2013. Now it's been over a decade and very successful. Uh, but that website had just shown up. And when I was an assistant, my boss was meeting with a writer, uh, this guy named Justin Kramer, who wrote the script called McCarthy, about Justin McCarthy. And that script, he had found his agent manager on the Blacklist website. It had been rated really high. He got that. And then now he was doing the water bottle tour across Hollywood, which is the water bottle tour is like when you go and you meet people with general meetings and they give you a water bottle every time. And, you know, it's uh, <laughs> good for the environment. But um, so he's there. And I remember asking our front desk person, this guy, Felipe, uh, who's now an exec for a different company and, you know, rose up in the ranks. And I think he's amazing. But Felipe was, I asked him, I was like, how do you, how did this, the guy's so young, he's our age. Like, how is he meeting with our boss? And, you know, he told me about that website and I was like, all right, I'm going to check that out. So I went and checked out that website while my boss was in that meeting and was like, oh, I have a couple of scripts I'd love to get feedback on. And at the time, I think it was like $75 for coverage or whatever. So I uploaded the script called Shovel Buddies on there that I'd written in grad school and then been polishing for the past year while working as an assistant. And uh, it immediately got rated really high. I think I got like, uh, I, I paid for three ratings. I got like two nines and a 10. It was amazing. So I was on the front page. It was very high on there. And it just kind of stuck around for a while on that website. And eventually uh, more people were reading it and downloading it. Franklin Leonard reached out to me and said, Hey, like this is one of the highest scripts rated on this website. What's the deal? Like, do you have reps? What's going on? And I was like, I don't have anybody just kind of waiting for feedback and working as an assistant. And he was like, well, we're going to do like a script of the week type thing. And that on Tuesday, I'm going to email blast everybody and say, shovel buddies is the highest rated script on our website. You should check it out. And I was, didn't think anything of it. I was like, all right, great, do that. So he went up sending that email blast. And an hour after that email went out, I think I had something like 300 missed calls. Like everyone across Hollywood was yeah, calling me. And a lot of it was just like other assistants who I knew who were happy for me, who were like, oh, I can't wait to read this. Some of it was just people who had started reading and got through page 10 and were like, this has something. Like, let's see if we can rep this kid. And some of it was just... Um, people found my phone number on the cover page and I think we're calling to make sure I was real, you know? So uh, rolled out from that, was able to get agents and managers from that initial email blast. And then that was like in October of 2012, 2013. And the blacklist comes out in December. So by the time the blacklist came out, uh, my agents and managers who I'd signed with that in October had been pushing it really hard. So people across Hollywood had read um, that script and voted for it. So it was on the blacklist then, which was amazing. Now from there, you know, your career takes a lot of left turns. I, you know, sold that script, had that movie made, but was also like in development on other things, jumping project to project, uh, wound up switching agents and managers like many people do later. Uh, so come 2022, um, in a post COVID world, I actually had no reps, you know, I, I had gone through what I thought was, you know, fun career changes and challenges. Um, you know, had parted amicably with one of my reps um, who was going through some stuff and just had to deal with some things. And I think our careers were different uh, junctures and we decided it was better if we just left it friends. So I was sitting without anybody uh, um, unsure how to get back to it. And I knew that like, look, if I have a script and I get back on the blacklist, I could probably get back in some inboxes, get some incoming calls and, you know, restart my career in the way that I want to and rebrand myself. So I spent a long time just, working on scripts. So I wrote this movie called Himbo, which is um, kind of like a psychotic love triangle movie about a male stripper who's sleeping with 
his boss's wife and planning to kill his boss for money and then realizes his boss might uh, have more opportunity for him. So he starts sleeping with his boss and starts suggesting maybe they should kill his boss's wife. You know, so it's this fun back and forth. I had that script. I had given it to friends who loved it and were passing it around. And I was getting just meetings on my own, right? So just my friends who are execs or my, you know, my friends who are writers giving to their reps, giving to their friends, being like, you got to read the script. It's crazy. It's fun. There's a character who's naked for the last 45 pages, you know, like just all sorts of wild things. So as they were handing that out and as I was getting coffees with different people, I would just mention, you know, like, hey, look, when the blacklist rolls around, if this is still one of the best things you think you've read this year. Just don't forget about me because, mm. you know, if you're on the blacklist, a lot of times. Um, your agents and managers, they'll give some calls the, the week of voting. You know, they'll be like, hey, remember you loved that Jason script if you're voting, you know, and I didn't have anybody to make those calls. So I would just say it as we went and sort of build it as we go. Uh, so it was sort of a pleasant surprise then Christmas of 2022, the Blacklist came out. Having Himbo on that was great because A, people remembered, B, they remembered and remembered to vote. And then C, afterwards, I got to wake up uh, that morning as soon as that dropped with uh, a lot of people reaching out because, look, I had no reps at that time. So people were like, oh, here's a hot script that nobody has. Um, immediately calling to read, immediately calling to uh, meet, wound up meeting a, a bunch of different um, managers and agents from all over town, settled with a manager um, at Atlas Entertainment, which has been great so far, you know, uh, and was able to restart my career, immediately booked a couple new things, uh, got on a movie and a TV show and, you know, um, turned around what I thought was, you know, like a little bit of a struggle in that post COVID world of like, how does a mid-level writer continue uh, to work in Hollywood without having like a direct grasp on, you know, mm -hmm. studio work or like having them, you know, reps who can just snap their fingers and make things happen, you know, like doing that legwork, but not being able to get through. And I think a lot of people in post COVID or even during COVID were stuck in the same uh, situation I was, which is just like, you could be a really good writer, but if you're not writing, if you don't have, uh, you know, a high studio pedigree at that time, they were really just taking like the most experienced writers to work on things. And, you know, if you write genre stuff, which I typically do, um, there's just a lot of competition out there. It was hard to stand out and hard to get staffed in TV because of the shrinking room sizes and different things we're striking about now. So, you know, for me, it was like a really nice way to reorient my career and also like reintroduce myself to the town. Hey, it's been a decade. This is what I can do. This is what I can still do. Um, but also like, I'm not just the guy that wrote, you know, a, a funny script a while ago. Like I, like, this is more of a thriller and yeah, it has the last, but it has the different things. And, and again, just reminding them, like poking them and being like, Hey, I'm still here and I'm still really good at this. So, you know, please hire me. And then, you know, rolling with that afterwards. If you're kind of giving advice to novice writers trying to break in today, is it just that like a long enough timeline, you don't stop? Is that kind of what you would say? Yeah, it's, a, it's a marathon, mean? right? And you have yeah. to write a lot. You know, I, I have a lot of people that I, you know, talk to students and different things. And, you know, if you're, you should be writing one or two specs a year. I mean, just the way it is. I think if you were really trying to hone your craft and trying to break in, it's not usually the first idea that goes, you know, I got very lucky that, shovel buddies caught on the way it did but you know i've written many specs since then some have been options some have gone different places and set up and fall apart and whatever but like the idea is just having new stuff always keeps you fresh in executives minds and also like you're gonna get better every time you write something so like 
it's a long haul. And not and unfortunately, even if you get better, not all of them are going to be winners. I mean, I, not all of my specs are amazing or no-brainers to set up. Some of them are weird. You know, I wrote a comedy about the Lindbergh kidnapping that I, people seem to enjoy. And but we're also like like the babies dies, you know? Like it's not like I was like, yeah, but it's isn't it crazy how it happened? You know, it's like, yeah, it takes place in 1933. This would cost like 75 million dollars to make this movie. It's like, yeah, no, but we should do it right you know it's like yeah. you, they're not all winners a lot of it's just taking your time writing your ideas being really passionate about the stuff you write you know i think like don't try to write for the market write for you you're the audience you know like what do you want what's a movie you want to see um but yeah it takes a long time and that's the thing like 10 years in i feel like i just sort of started cracking like what a first draft a good first draft looks like you know a first draft that you're working off not like an idea first draft or a vomit first draft but like now I feel like no matter what I'm writing, the first draft is good enough where I can send it in and have a real conversation with people, you know, but, but it is, um, you know, it does take a decade of learning. So we're almost out of time. There's a lot of great stuff there already. I don't talk a lot about the strike. I'm on the East coast. I sure. also did not think it would last this long. We've just passed a <laughs> hundred days. So what are your takes on the strike so far? Yeah. I mean, we're out there because we need to be the entire future of screenwriting as a profession, whether it's TV or feature writing uh, is at stake. Um, it, it's, it's difficult, right? It's like, I, I, ve I very much believe we should be out there and I'm very happy to be there. I'm frustrated. The AMPTP isn't sitting down to negotiate with us more because I think, you know, we're asking for very reasonable and um, things bring it forward. And the strike's going to take as long as it takes, you know, and I think when they're ready to have a real conversation about how we protect screenwriting as a profession and not as a and you know don't shove it into this gig economy they want um you know we'll be there to have that with them and i'm sure there'll be middle ground you know, they always say with any negotiation the best thing is at the end both sides are not happy you know because you don't want one side but i'd like our side to be more happy i don't you know that's i don't see that as the best uh, the best way the best way i think is us getting what we deserve but you know look at, at the end of the day like this is this business is art meets commerce, right? It, it always has been. And I think the strike is a necessary part of that because if you starve out people from being able to do a, like a good enough job, this industry will end, you know, like we, it can't just be a place where the people who've worked for a long time, who have a lot of money are totally fine, you know, and, and assume no risks and, and the people who want to break in have to, you know, it's, and it's already always been a little bit like that, but the gap is so wide now, you know, I think, um, the risk it takes to become a writer in this town is absolutely insane. I mean, we just spent time talking about um, projects, but you know, I, most of the time when you're writing specs, you get paid nothing. When you're pitching on these things, you get paid nothing, right? Like I, I love my work at No Film School. I think it's valuable, and I'm happy to do it. But I only do that job because I need money. You know, like I, Los Angeles is expensive. I need money to survive. I need uh, that safety net of hey, if I pitch on hungry, hungry hippos and it doesn't go well, it's not going to ruin my life. You know, and it, and it took me a long time to get there, right? Like I had five years of struggling. So every day I'm spent, I spend out there and I'll, I'll be out there uh, 20 minutes after we're done this call um, is it, spent knowing that like, we need to preserve this for the next generation. We need to put it together and um, you know, a hundred days is a long time and it could go a hundred more, you know, we just don't know. But if we don't do this, screenwriting as a profession could go away not even in our lifetime in like the next 10 years um and I, I i think that's terrifying to me so many movies and tv shows mean so much to me you know 
were very formative to who I am as a person and, and to who I continue to become. You know, I, have, I find there are places I go to learn lessons about things that I just don't get confronted with in my everyday life. And I cherish them for that. And if we take them out of the hands of human beings, if we take them out of the hands of just writers with ideas and, and souls and just hand them over to machines or just fade them away, society will suffer from it. And I don't want to live in a place uh, where those consequences are evident. So, I'm, you know, if you care about that stuff and there's a picket line in your city, you know, please come out support us and, and do what you can. Um, Cause I do think it's, it's a battle for everybody. And it's like strangely a battle for like the soul of Hollywood, which is slowly being sucked out by corporate dementors. And, you know, we've got to find a way to put it back in and make sure we have it for a long time. Perfect. And everyone can, everyone listening can read about updates as you kind of publish those on the film school, anywhere else people should be following you right now. Um, you know, I'm at Jason Hellerman on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it there. I, I try to tweet out my articles and do different stuff, but, uh, you know, follow me there, tweet me stuff. And you can always email me. It's just Jason at nofilmschool.com. I get a lot of really funny emails, people asking for different articles or explainers. I'm always happy not to have to brainstorm uh, new articles. So if you have stuff you want to hear about or want to learn about, I'm very happy to try and put in an article for you or get it up. Um, no film school's mission as always is to make sure the next generation of filmmakers is educated enough to get their ideas and their stories across. Uh, so happy to be a part of that and happy to you know help in any way I can. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. If it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.